Let us pray. Lord, as we gather around your word today, we hear some challenges to us to be disciple makers, to go into the world, to tell other people, to baptize them. And we sometimes think it is a pretty awesome challenge, and it is an awesome challenge. It's not so much the awesome challenge of us doing it. It is the awesome challenge that you would actually give it to us, normal, ordinary people. But we know it's something that we cannot do by ourselves. And so that's why it talks about in the book of Acts where you send the Holy Spirit and then we will become your witnesses. We thank you for calling us. We thank you for this privilege. And we thank you that we can, through you, be the answer. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. In our prayer, I mentioned an awesome challenge. And I always think of two Bible verses. One of them is at the tail end of Matthew, what we know as the Great Commission. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and so on. And we realize that this was a command that Jesus gave just to really about 11 people. And I always kind of wondered what these 11 people thought when Jesus said, You 11... I want you to go into this whole world and evangelize the whole world. I mean, some of these guys had hardly been out of their hometown much. Then in the book of Acts, in chapter 1, it says, And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, that's the day of Pentecost which is coming, said, You will be my witnesses. Now, at this time, he's talking to a few more people. And he says, and and you will be my witnesses. And then he spells it out to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Even before he ascends into heaven, he kind of repeats the same thing. Go into all the world and make disciples. Now, how could this tiny, ragtag group of believers have an impact on the entire world? In fact, I might ask you, how could this ragtag group of believers known as First Lutheran Church have any impact on this whole world? Well, the book of Acts actually tells us how it was done, no matter whether you are 11 people or, after that first Pentecost, several thousand people, or whether you're like First Lutheran Church with a few hundred people. See, if we make their priorities, our priorities, and if we proclaim the message that they proclaim, if we would follow their example of ministry, I think we could make a difference in the world we live in. And what was their message? Well, on the screen you're going to see just a, a verse. Well, go, go up to the next screen quick, Matt. We'll come back. Okay, there's the verse. Uh, it's a song. Uh, I wish we could have sung it today. I was going to sing it, but it says, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there is no other. Jesus is the way. Popular song back in the early 70s by Andre Crouch. It's been sung by a lot of other people. And of all the labels uh, that evangelicals have embraced over the last 40 years, none have hit the target quite like the term where this song came from. They were called the Jesus people. Now, Now go back one again, Matt. I want to show this picture. Uh, Nancy and I actually know some of the people who came to know Jesus in the 60s and 70s through Jesus people. Uh, this is a picture of, well, 
the Resurrection Band. And you, you can see that the title of that album is what? Music to Raise the Dead. And believe me, as a heavy metal Christian band, it was music that would raise the dead. And today they call them the Res Band. But if you can see the top picture, and if you start over on the left side, the second guy up there with his hands kind of in the pockets of his leather jacket is our good friend Stu Heiss. Stu is the same guy who looks like an accountant playing the red guitar today. Things have changed, but I'm going to tell you something. One thing that has not changed with people like Stu and his wife Laurel or Glenn Kaiser, who, or his, his wife in this, in this group, is that Jesus is still the answer. Now, skip ahead to two to the next. Okay, right there. It's the, the Jesus people movement. And um, the Jesus people were really interesting. They didn't really care much about anything else other than Jesus. I mean, it was Jesus' power. And it kind of came out of a big revival in San Francisco, rolled through Chicago, and all kinds of, I'd say, what we would call lower-class people came to know Jesus. They were drug addicts. I mean, they were street people. And then suddenly, nothing else in the entire world mattered to these people except for Jesus. Uh, they talked about Jesus because they knew Jesus. They knew that Jesus was the answer for the world that day. Uh, I mean, they're just absolutely amazing people who rarely ever talked about politics or social issues or culture wars. It was just plain simple, all about Jesus. Now, I think that term, Jesus people, that phrase really summarizes the entire message of the New Testament. And this message has not changed in 2,000 years. It's as true today as it was that very first Easter. It's all about Jesus. Now, that's why I'm here today. I'm not here to talk to you about this church or some other church. I'm not here really to tell you about my political affiliation or maybe even the lack of one uh, or talking about any particular controversial subject today or controversial or less than controversial or not going to talk about any legislation that ought to be passed or how you ought to vote. I'm here today for one purpose and one purpose only, and that's to tell you about Jesus. Now, why is that? Well, because of that first verse you saw up there, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. Now, we didn't look at the entire story today that followed what Jimmy read to you. We're going to come back to this story in a few weeks about Peter being called to go see a Gentile by the name of Cornelius. And, and in that day, to have a Gentile request a Jew to come to their house was really a big deal. Because Jews did not consider Gentiles to be of much value. Uh, they were second-class citizens at best. Uh, they didn't view Gentiles as being a central part of God's plan for the the chosen race. I mean, they were not Israelites. Uh, when God came back, if you were not a Jew, the best you could hope for would be to be included into the kingdom, perhaps as servants or slaves to other Jews. Now, there's a whole backstory about how Peter gets to go there, but he's invited. I want you to picture this. He's invited to the house of a non-Jew. Picture yourself today being invited to somebody who is of a totally different race or class or group of people than what you normally associate with. In fact, if you could even picture a race or class or group of people that you would probably under normal circumstances say, 
<laughs> no way. No way. But here's Peter. He's going to the house of a guy who is not a Jew, but who bought into some of the ideas of Judaism. Uh, they believed that there was one God and that this God was good, but they did not buy into this whole package of rituals or diet. And believe me, the Gentiles were not really crazy about circumcision either. Uh, these Gentile believers, if you will, uh, prayed to God, asked for help, asked for guidance. They tried to do their best. They tried to live a good life. And they even attended the synagogue, sitting in the appropriate back row seats where all Gentiles sit. Now, religious Jews consider them to be good people, but not on the same level as really good people, Jews. Now, today we might call these people seekers. These are the tire kickers. These are the ones who kind of show up in church to kind of check it out. They're not really bad people, but they're not really sure what they're looking for. In fact, there's a whole category of people today that we would probably call unchurched Christians. They have some belief in Jesus, but for one reason or another, would never ever consider coming to church. Now, Cornelius, I would tell you, was probably a guy a lot like this. Interested in spiritual stuff. In fact, you'd be amazed at how many people today are interested in spiritual matters, but aren't interested in the church. They're interested in spirituality, but they're not really sure where Jesus fits into that pattern. They were not plugged into what we would call a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So Peter has to kind of suck it up as a Jew to head to this Gentile's house to tell him how to get really connected with God. Now imagine, somebody saying, come to my house today and tell me more about God. I want to know more about God. What would you tell him? Well, <laughs> Jesus, or not Jesus, but Cornelius very simply said, you want to know more about God, guess what? Jesus is the answer. And then he proceeded to tell Cornelius, not necessarily all about God, but all about Jesus. Now, who is this Cornelius guy? Well, he was a centurion. He was a Roman soldier, the commander of hundreds of people. Uh, but Peter, when he talked to him, he didn't get into politics. Uh, he didn't lecture Cornelius about the oppressive nature of Rome. He didn't give him a dissertation of why Judaism in of itself is not the answer. He didn't tell him that in order to know God, you... You've got to have this view of Scripture as opposed to this view of Scripture or this view of the afterlife as opposed to this view of the afterlife. He just said, I'm here to tell you about Jesus. I'm going to tell you about who he is, and I'm going to tell you what he can do for you. I think about that when I, I go to Angola. I'm not really there to talk to them about a particular view of Scripture or this or that. My job is to tell them about Jesus. My job is to tell them about what Jesus wants to do in their life. And see, that's our call too. That's how we can initially change this world. You do it one at a time. I mean, the old question about how do you eat an elephant? Well, it's one bite at a time. Uh, how do you change the world? It's one person at a time. You tell them who Jesus is for you, 
and then you tell them who Jesus could be for them, and, and that message is what we need to carry to a lost and dying world who may be very spiritual, very interested in spiritual things, but do not really have a relationship with Jesus. Now, you might ask yourself, where could we possibly find these people? Probably here this morning. Don't know. There could be some of you that are really good church attenders, really good givers, served long time on the boards. You've been here since the Indians lived in Texarkana. For all I know, been a member of this church since who knows when. But I would ask the question, do you have an honest-to-goodness relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Now, this message is the first in eight of what I'm going to call Mission Possible. It's about how you and me, how we, this church, could actually change the world. Now, how are you going to change the world? Well, you start by kind of changing some of the stuff in our own church, and then what's around our church and it just kind of moves out like throwing a rock in the middle of a pond. And for the next eight weeks, we're going to take a look at different stories in the book of Acts. We're going to see how the early church did it, how they managed to turn their entire world upside down. We're going to talk about what we could do as First Lutheran Church to be that kind of church today. Now, the question is, you know where it begins? Well, it begins with Jesus. Weren't you paying attention to the first part of the message? <laughs> It begins with Jesus. It begins with Jesus. He is the center of all we do. And as we look at the book of Acts, there are three things I want to see that, I want that, this, that you can see that Jesus did for you. And here's the very first thing he did for you. Peter said, Jesus came to bring you peace. Bring, bring you peace. Now, verse 36 says, You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. I mean, think about that. Jesus came to bring you peace. Now, when he was here on earth, he talked a lot about peace. In fact, one of the names by which he goes is what? The Prince of Peace. Isaiah talked about him. Now, what kind of peace did Jesus come to bring you? Well, peace with God, for one thing. Uh, Romans 5.1, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, some of you may feel like you've been at war with God your entire life. I don't know. I certainly have met people like that. It's like it's a constant battle between me and God. I mean, God always wants me to do this, and I, I want to do something else, and I can just never measure up to God. I mean, God is some like, man, you, there's no pleasing Him. They're kind of always at war with Him. And you're always at odds with Him. But, friends, Jesus is not at war with anybody. Jesus is there to bridge the gap. If you can picture a gap, you on one side of the Grand Canyon, God on the other. If there's a gap, I can tell you who caused the gap. It's called sin. But I can tell you how you get from one side to the other. It has nothing to do with being good. It has to do with the cross of Jesus Christ that bridges that great divide. That's how you get from one side to the other on Jesus. See, Jesus came to bring you peace with God. Colossians 1, he made peace with his blood. He came to bring you peace with yourself. Jesus said, peace I leave you, peace I give you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Jesus tells us any number of times, like in Philippians, that he wants you, you, 
you individually, you personally, to have that peace that passes all understanding. And once you've got peace with yourself, who else is doing it? He wants you to have peace with one another. Uh, Hebrews 12, 14, make every effort to live at peace with all men. Do you ever know in a church where people didn't get along with each other? Oh, for heaven's sakes. You know, come on, read the Bible. It says, you know, first of all, God came to bring peace. He didn't come to bring discord. I just read of a church the other day that about 15 years ago had close to 3,000 people at worship. Pretty big church. And then they began to argue about certain things, about how certain things were to be done. They argued all kinds of things from constitutional procedure to what kind of music or whether the people in the band should have long hair or short hair. They began to argue about every little thing. And about three months ago, they were worshiping about 50 And this last week, they shuttered the doors and filed bankruptcy. What a testimony, huh? What a testimony to people who lacked the peace of God, who didn't really understand what peace with God was all about. And because they didn't understand what peace with God was all about, they didn't understand what peace for them meant. And because they didn't have peace themselves, they couldn't generate any peace with other people. There's another level of peace. is peace and turmoil. You ever, anybody ever been in turmoil, have a tough time, bad things going on? John 16 says, These things I've spoken to you that in me you might have peace. In this world you'll have tribulation. You're going to have problems in this world. No doubt about it. But be of good cheer. He says, I've overcome the world. He wants to bring you peace. I mean, that's what Jesus' message is all about. Peace with God. Peace with your past. Peace with... Whatever the future holds, peace with the present, peace with yourself, peace with your neighbor, peace with your enemies, peace even in the midst of a storm. I mean, Jesus can make this promise because he said, I have overcome this world. Now, where do you live? I think it's called in this world, isn't it? Because I've already conquered this world. You can have peace. Now, I don't think I have to convince you that most people don't live peaceful lives all the time. I see it all the time. But I, I do want you to know that Jesus, the Christ, Jesus, the Messiah, came in the world to give you peace. And if you receive it, his gift, it's always yours for the asking. In fact, it's always going to be more peace than you ever imagined. Happy. I mentioned to Ted before the service, I had a, a nice note the other day from his brother, Brother Phil. Many of you know his brother Phil. And he called, or he wrote a note to Vicky and myself, and, and said to say thank you to the people at First Lutheran for praying for him. And so, after four plus years, he's now cancer free. Now that's a great praise of the Lord, isn't it? He said, "You can take me off that list." <laughs> I'm not sure which one that is. Is whatever the prayer list. And then he said, "But add my two daughters on there, both of whom are suffering from cancer." Now, the letter kind of like, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, he's cancer free. Oh, he's got two daughters with cancer. But you know, I should have brought along because Ted's attitude was still positive. He still had peace. Why? 
because he knows that the same Lord who took care of him has the same power to take care of his daughters. He still is Lord over all. I, I, I mean, I was greatly encouraged. I, you know, I should write him a thank you note for his thank you note. You know, that's peace. That's one thing Peter came to talk about. Here's the second thing. Jesus came to be your example. Now, I love how Peter summarized Jesus' life. He said, he went around doing good. He went around doing good. Isn't that a great way to summarize your life? You ever thought about what you want on your tombstone? How about it has your name? Tommy Brundrett. He went about doing good. Wouldn't that be kind of a cool thing? Matthew Hackworth. Went about doing good. Katie Cleveland, she went around doing good. You know, can you imagine anything better to be said about you? Now, in the Gospels, uh, let me give you an example. You know, Jesus went around and did a lot of miracles. He raised a young boy from the dead. He brought sanity back into the life of a man driven insane by uh, spiritual oppression, demons. Uh, He healed a woman who had been suffering from this horrible, humiliating disease for over ten years. Now, these are all miraculous events, but I want you to realize that the most important part of those stories is not the miracle itself, although many of us focus on the miracles. It was on what motivated the healing. Not long ago, I, I read something where an author suggested that Jesus only performed miracles to prove that he was the Messiah. Now, I looked at that and I said, yeah, the miracles of Jesus do prove that he's a God, no question about it, but why did Jesus heal these people? I think the answer is really simple. He healed people because he cared about people. Several times the Bible says, Jesus saw somebody, and he was what? He was moved with compassion. It never says that Jesus saw a grieving mother that had lost her only son and saw this as a great opportunity to make some sort of a theological or doctrinal statement. That's not in my Bible. It says when he looked at this mother who had lost her only son, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. See, Jesus went around doing good because he cared about people. And so in him, we've got a great model, a great example to follow. Now, you may not be able to turn water into wine at a, at a wedding party. But, you know, if you've got a friend who's in trouble, you can do what you can to help him out. I mean, that's really what the water and the wine story is all about. Jesus saw somebody who's having a problem, and he took care of it for him. Now, you, I don't know if any of you here could multiply... Uh, bread and fish, uh, but you could certainly help feed hungry people. Uh, You might not be able to control the wind and the waves or the sea, but you can help people who have storms in their life deal with them. Uh, You might not be able to do a miracle the way Jesus performed it, but you'd be amazed at what what happens when you treat somebody with the same compassion that Jesus did. See, the Bible says that Cornelius was a good man. He was respected by many people in his town. He dedicated to doing good things. He was giving gifts to the poor. Peter said to him, you know, Cornelius, if being a good person is important to you, then this man, Jesus, 
is the best example you could ever possibly follow. Jesus spent his entire life doing good. In fact, in verse 38 that Jimmy read to you before, it says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. I mean, who's the model to follow? I mean, I know it's really neat, you know, if you've got kids. I mean, it's cool to hear your son say, Dad, someday I want to grow up and be just like you. It's really cool to have your little girl say, Mom, someday I want to grow up and be just like you. I mean, that's nice. But more important is to have somebody say, I want to grow up and be more like Jesus. I mean, Jesus' example is one every person can follow. He's the answer in the world today because in him we see how life really ought to be lived. Now, I'm glad that my son or my grandson or my daughter would want to grow up and be like me or be like Nancy. But we're imperfect. We try to do things that are good, right, but sometimes we don't. Same with you. But Jesus is always right. And by his Spirit, we can do as well. There's a third thing Peter said. He said Jesus is going to be our judge. He's going to be our judge. People need to understand that. Jesus wasn't just a good man. He wasn't just a good teacher. He wasn't just a good example to follow. Jesus Christ is God. He's God. The Bible says that Jesus is eternal just like the Father. John 1, what does it say? In many and various ways, God's... Well, that's Hebrews. Wrong, wrong book. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning, nothing was created without Him. He's always been there. The Bible says, Paul says that in Jesus, in Colossians 2, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. You want to know what the deity, you want to know what God looks like? Look at Jesus. That's why Jesus said, I and the Father are, what, two different people? No, he says, I and the Father are one. There was a goofy song a few years ago called, What If God Was One of Us? Anybody remember that kind of a dopey song? What if God was one of us, just a slob like one of us, riding on the bus like one of us? I just thought, what a dopey song. The answer is, yeah, he is. <laughs> he was one of us. He became one of us. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, great verses. Who being in the very nature of God, this is talking about Jesus, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. But we all know it didn't end with his death. I mean, we are, what, five Sundays away from a pretty big church holiday. Anybody remember what that was? I think it was called Easter, wasn't it? And you guys forget that already? I mean, you packed away the Easter bunny, and so Easter's over? No, it didn't end. I mean, on the third day on Easter, you know, he, he comes back, and Peter says to Cornelius in today's reading, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he's the one whom God anointed as judge of both the living and the dead. You know, ultimately, someday, we're all going to stand in front of Jesus. We all will. I don't care who you are, good, bad, ugly, indifferent, whatever. I mean, can you imagine that, standing in front of Jesus? 
don't know how does that make you feel. That someday you'll stand in front of Jesus. I got to tell you, <laughs> there's, no, there's no other judge I'd rather stand in front of. <laughs> Uh, and the reason is is because I don't know of any other judge in this world who is nearly as merciful or as compassionate as Jesus. See, when that woman was caught in the very act of adultery and by all rights should have been stoned to death, Jesus, the judge, rose to her defense and said, I do not condemn you. Go and live a new life. I mean, Jesus is merciful. But more than that, you will stand before a judge... I mean, how many of you ever stood before a judge who's already paid your fine for you? Don't think that happens. I mean, you know, you're going to stand before a judge who, yeah, can you imagine, you know, being charged with something, get in front of a judge, and the judge says, well, I'm going to sentence you to 25 years, but by the way, I'll serve it for you. Not down here, it won't happen. When Jesus died, he paid your fine. When Jesus died, he served your time. He actually referred to his death as paying a ransom. He said, here's your get-out-of-jail-free card. I bought you back. I ransomed you back from the enemy. He paid everything in full. So, ultimately, Jesus is going to be your judge. He's going to be everybody's judge. And a more merciful, compassionate, and loving judge I cannot even begin to imagine. And everyone who stands before him, guess what? He's going to say one of two things. He's either going to say, I don't know who you are. I never knew you. In fact, he says something pretty frightening in the Bible. He said, there are a lot of people who said, Lord, Lord, but I don't know who they are. That's pretty scary when you think about it. Or he's going to say, enter into the joy of your Lord. Well done, good and faithful servant. Each person has the opportunity to choose. Those who've chosen Jesus will know that he is the answer not only for today, but he's the answer for eternity. Now, for most of us, eternity seems like a long way away. Most of us don't give much thought about eternity. But we think a lot about today. Somebody ask you, what about today? What about your life today? I'm not talking about, like, what about this kind of, I'm just talking about you. I mean, just think about you for a moment. What about your life today? Now, I'm not a mind reader. I don't know everything about everybody in this congregation. Don't even want to know everything about everybody in this congregation. Um, I don't know what you're experiencing now. I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know whether your life is one success after another. I don't know whether your life is one failure after another. I don't know whether your life is in chaos. I don't know whether your life is very placid or whatever, but I do know something. Jesus can bring a new dimension to your life no matter where your life is right now. Jesus can take a world of black and white and turn it into a world rich in living color. Uh, He can take your life and he can fill it with peace that's way beyond description. He can take a life that appears to be drifting without any purpose and fill your life with purpose, with the satisfaction that comes from helping other people. He can fill your life with an assurance that comes from knowing that you belong to him for all eternity. See, Peter sums up this conversation, the last verse that Jimmy shared with you before. Everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins through his name. Now, you know what it means to believe? 
It's just not something that happens between your ears. It's a little bit more than that. It's something that happens in your heart. Now, there are today, perhaps, people here who are like Cornelius. I I don't know. I can't see in your heart. You've been kind of connected to the church, maybe partially connected with the church. You're partially connected to religion, but maybe never fully connected to Jesus. Well, guess what? The Bible says today could be the day of your salvation. Today could be the day that you actually make the connection. I mean, I would ask you today, do you need peace with your past? Do you need a purpose for today? Uh, Do you want hope for tomorrow? Well, guess what? I got the answer to those. It's spelled J-E-S-U-S. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer for the, for the world today. Jesus is the answer for you today. And I would hope and pray that this message would resonate in your life. I know that as I, I, I wrote this, I realized that many, if not most, of these messages are really aimed at myself as well. And so I kind of stepped back and I asked myself, am I... Am I kind of only connected to the church or connected to religion? Am I just kind of going through the motions without any emotions? Or do I truly love the Lord with all my heart, body, mind, soul, and spirit? As we begin this new series, I just pray that it will resonate not only in your life where Jesus is the answer. But I'd also pray that this message would also resonate through this entire church. That no matter what goes on with this church, around this church, through this church, that the message that Jesus is the answer resonates. It's kind of nice sometimes, people think. I've been associated with churches and consultation, and we ask people in the community, tell us something about this church. You know, we stay in a hotel and we go in to do a consultation. Tell us about this church. It's surprising how many people don't even know, know about these churches we go and talk to. Never heard of them. It's also equally funny what many churches are known for. Oh, that's the church of the ham and bean dinner. Oh, that's the church that uh, has the uh, weird-looking windows. Or that's the church where all the kind of the rich people go in town. Or that's that's a that's a black church. Or that's a well, that's one of those holy roller churches. Oh, that's one of those Hispanic churches. Wouldn't it be great if everybody said, what do you know about First Lutheran? Oh, that's the Jesus church. That's the church that knows Jesus, loves Jesus, and would be willing to tell you that Jesus is the answer. Let's pray.